friends, we can all listen to the sunny side of sports. Great show, bro. This is sunny side of sports. Right here on the Voice of America. Voice of America. Sporty greetings to all our Voice of America listeners. This is VOA's Sonny Young in Washington. Welcome to the March 31st edition of the sunny side of sports. World football's governing body, FIFA, will hold the draw for the 2022 World Cup on Friday in Doha, Qatar. The ceremony is scheduled to begin at 1600 GMT, UTC, on Friday. On Tuesday, five African teams, Ghana, Senegal, Cameroon, Morocco, and Tunisia officially booked their tickets to football's premier event. VOA's Gwen Uten joins us now with more news on the African teams and the World Cup. Sporty greetings, Gwen. Sporty greetings, Sunny. Ghana and Senegal have both qualified for World Cup 2022, taking place in Qatar later this year. On Tuesday, Sadio Mane delivered the winning spot kick to help Senegal defeat Egypt 3-1 on penalties. Senegal's victory was like a repeat of last month's Africa Cup of Nations final when Mane sealed his country's first major title with the winning penalty shot against Egypt. Senegal have reached the finals of the FIFA World Cup for a third time, and it's the first time the country has qualified for back-to-back competitions. Ghana returns to the World Cup after missing the tournament in 2018. On Tuesday, Ghana advanced to the finals on away goals following their 1-1 playoff draw against Nigeria. After their defeat, thousands of angry Nigerian soccer fans stormed the pitch in Abuja and clashed with police. The violent acts of fans in Nigeria are in violation of a number of FIFA security regulations, and the country is now facing sanctions for the violence that occurred. The riot strongly contradicts the words spoken by FIFA President Gianni Infantino earlier this week when he announced that the upcoming World Cup tournament can be an opportunity to bring people together. What sports and football can indeed try to, to unite a little bit the people? I mean, Mandela was saying that sport has the power to change the world, right? Uh, I don't know if if this is the case, but if somebody like Mandela said something like that, uh, well, maybe it has something. And uh, uh, the fact that we are coming out of a pandemic where we have been locking ourselves down, where we are at this moment in a, in a, in a situation where there is a war in, in Europe, uh, terrible, uh, and conflicts as well in other parts of the world. We shouldn't forget that either. To have occasions in which... Uh, we can bring people together. Should be occasions that we don't have to uh, waste for society uh, going forward. So I think the world needs a moment as well of, uh, I don't know how to call it, normality uh, coming together. 
Infantino spoke before the World Cup draw that will take place on Friday in Qatar. This year's World Cup is set to make history as the first to not only be held in the Middle East, but also at the end of the calendar year in November and December. And Infantino said this year's global event could set a precedent for future tournaments. The World Cup is not only the biggest show on Earth, it's the biggest football competition on Earth. It means so much for so many people all over the world. And we have all to respect the fact that the FIFA World Cup belongs to the entire world. And the FIFA World Cup should be played in the best conditions. That's why it is certainly correct that it's played in this part of the year here. in future, uh, well, I think it will probably still be end of the European season for the foreseeable future, but uh, you know, who knows. 32 teams will play their matches inside state-of-the-art stadiums that Qatar has spent billions of dollars to construct. But in light of those infrastructure projects, one area of concern leading up to the tournament has been the issue of workers' rights. Last year, The Guardian published a report that revealed more than 6,500 migrant workers from South Asia and Sub-Saharan Africa have died in the decades since Qatar was awarded hosting rights. And many of those deaths are directly linked to the construction sites of World Cup stadiums. FIFA has been called on to do more to protect migrant workers who are exposed to forced labor, unpaid wages, and excessive working hours in Qatar. However, Gianni Infantino says human rights protections remain a top priority for FIFA, and progress has been made. I think that the legacy in terms of human rights, workers' rights, uh, is um, and has been uh, reached already before the World Cup. It's important that it is here to stay. And it will stay. It will stay because it is enshrined in legislation and because this legislation is now being effectively enforced as well by uh, the government. I mean, there are, there are people who are prosecuted, there are people who, who go to jail, owners of companies who don't pay their workers correctly and so on and so forth. Of course, it's not paradise. Of course, it's not perfect. Of course, there's still work to be done, but we need to stay there. We need to continue. Uh, we need to work together. We need to encourage change because not everyone wants change, even in Qatar or in the Gulf. But the leadership wants change. The leadership implements change. And this makes us feel uh, positive. Everyone will be welcomed. And that's why, you know, I really believe that uh, uh, when I hear some of the voices that well, an Arab country doesn't deserve to organize the, the World Cup because there is no history of football or, or some nonsense like that. I mean, I, I, I completely disagree with that because the whole world deserves to have the World Cup. This time it is in an Arab country. And Infantino adds everyone from all walks of life are welcome in Qatar for the upcoming tournament. There will be accommodation for everyone who wants to stay in Qatar, but maybe, uh, you know, somebody that wants to make a day uh, in Dubai or Abu Dhabi or Muscat or Riyadh or Jeddah or wherever in, in the region, and they will have the opportunity as well to uh, go and visit uh, maybe other countries throughout their stay in, uh, in this region. That's certainly what, what we also recommend, because uh, I think one of the 
of the uh, biggest experiences in this particular walk, and again, the demand shows that as well, would be for people to come to a country and to a part of the world that they maybe not know uh, so far. Even if we speak about LGBTQ+, if we speak about, uh, again, workers, about people from everywhere in the world, if you have a ticket, you will have your visa, which is your uh, higher card, kind of a fan ID, you will be able to enter the country, you will be able to celebrate uh, with your friends, and uh, uh, and again, the world will see that this is a welcoming country, and once this has happened, and you will have had two million people coming, and five billion people watching it from home, then there is no way back. The FIFA World Cup draw will take place on Friday, and although the full qualification process is not yet complete, five African nations have been confirmed. They are Senegal, Ghana, Morocco, Tunisia, and Cameroon. And speaking of Cameroon, the Indomitable Lions have now qualified for football's premier event, eight times more than any other African team. I'll also mention the United States have also secured a spot at World Cup 2022 following their 2-0 loss to Costa Rica on Wednesday. The USA joins Canada and Mexico from the CONCACAF region at the World Cup in Qatar. And that is all from me, Sonny. Back over to you. Thanks, Gwen. That's my VOA colleague, Gwen Uden. What do you think of the five African teams that are going to the World Cup? That's the question Iron Mike Mbonye posed to African football analyst Emmanuel Okara. Without mincing words, I make bold to say that the five teams that qualify to represent CAF at the upcoming Qatar 2022 World Cup got their tickets through dint of hard work and will be worthy ambassadors of the African continent. And I wish them well as they count down to the FIFA flagship tournament, which kicks off in November, begins starting with the draws on Friday. You predicted that the second games of the playoff was far from over. Which were the most interesting games on Tuesday night? I did say in a previous interview, the fixtures were far from over. Because in the game of football, nothing is cast in stone. Anything can happen within a twinkle of an eye. And the games between the indomitable Lions of Cameroon and the Desert Foxes adumbrated the scenario I enacted. The Cameroonians, against all odds, defeated the Desert Foxes of Algeria at the famous impregnable Mustafa Chaka Stadium, where they had been invincible since 2004. But sadly for them, the Rigobert song tutored indomitable lions shattered the meat which necessitated the resignation of coach Jamel Belmadi. The Taranga Lions of Senegal, who are the defending Afghan champions, proved to the world that their victory over the pharaohs of Egypt last month in Cameroon was no fluke. They not only wiped off the one-goal deficit from the first leg in Cairo, which came through an own goal, their eventual victory came through another thrilling penalty shootout, much to the delight of their fans, to qualify for another outing at the upcoming FIFA Football Fiesta in Qatar in November. Emma, do you think the five African teams will show good representation at the Qatar World Cup? 
In terms of representing the African continent creditably at the Qatar 2022 World Cup, I feel the five teams will strive to do their best, but performing at the highest level of the game will either enhance their reputation individually or be counted as one of the participants. One thing is certain, Africa will not be disgraced at the Coupe de Mondial. The way I see the Taranga Lions and the Indomitable Lions of Cameroon, they will surely want to go beyond the epochal mark they made in 1990 and 2002 World Cup, respectively. Once again, I wish them all good luck. That's African football analyst Emmanuel Okara. And he spoke with Iron Mike Mbonye on the telephone from Lagos, Nigeria. Nigerian football authorities have refuted reports that a Zambian doctor working for the Confederation of African Football died of injuries sustained during violence at Tuesday's World Cup qualifier between Ghana and Nigeria. Timothy Obiezu reports from Abuja, Nigeria. The Nigerian Football Federation confirmed the death of the Zambian CAF official Joseph Kabungo in a statement Tuesday, but it said Nigerian newspaper reports that Kabungo died of injuries sustained from a beating and stampede are false. NFF General Secretary Mohamed Sanusi said Kabungo was found gasping for air near a locker room as officials were testing players for illegal doping. He said the official was taken to a hospital but died soon afterward. NFF did not respond to VOA's calls for further comment, but the Football Federation of Zambia had earlier suggested that the medical doctor died of possible cardiac arrest. Nigeria's Super Eagles Tuesday crashed out of the 2022 FIFA World Cup slated for November this year after losing to the Ghanaian team in Abuja. Angry Nigerian fans invaded the pitch and vandalized facilities while thousands scrambled to leave the stadium. Eyewitness Kelvin Sunday described the incident as chaotic. So immediately the ball and I saw people, you know, trying to jump over, you know, the barricade, trying to jump over into the main boat itself. People throwing bottle water and all of those stuff. Some observers like Busayo Tosin say Nigeria losing the game was not the only trigger for the violence. Two days ago, there was an attack at the airport. Yesterday, another attack. Over now, around some of these people have been attacked. It's demand supposed to be a moment of consolidation for Nigerians. But with this result, well, our tragedy continues. Sports experts and analysts say Nigeria could face serious sanctions for Tuesday's unsportsmanlike behavior in a possible ban. Daniel Aderie is a sports journalist and analyst at Nigeria's National Television Authority. While FIFA has not come out to state anything officially, they will definitely take a stand. One thing is certain for sure, the fans will be banned following the whole violence. Aside that, there will be fines, you know, will be fined heavily as much as $50,000 to $100,000. The 60,000-seat Moshi Dabiola Stadium was packed to overcapacity on Tuesday. By one estimate, there were 100,000 people. Timothy Obiezu for VOA News, Abuja, Nigeria. Hi, I'm Kim Lewis. 
Join me and a panel of journalists as we discuss the top stories of the week, including a new round of peace talks aimed at ending Russia's invasion of Ukraine began in Turkey. As Russia's shelling continues throughout Ukraine, despite the Kremlin announcing new battle plans focused on the eastern region. Join us for Issues in the News this Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America. Go beyond the daily headlines with VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine. Each weekday at 1935 UTC, join me, Steve Miller, as I put the latest developments into a global context with interviews and analysis. Listen online at voanews.com slash flashpoint or in your favorite podcast player. You're listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. The youngest current player on Ghana's World Cup bound men's football team is Fatal Isahaku, who celebrated his 18th birthday on March 8th. In this encore sunny side of sports feature presentation, Yawafusu Larbi tells us more about the talented teenager. Fatal Isahaku's reputation precedes him. Goals, assists, and a sweet left foot. He has become the most exciting youngster the country has seen in recent years. Before he played at the Under-20 Africa Cup of Nations and won with the Black Satellites, he had already captained the Black Starlets at the Wafu Under-17 tournament and had gained remarkable grounds in Ghana's Division I league. Let's roll back the years a bit. Fatal grew up in Nigeria for a little while before his family relocated to Tamale, the capital of the northern region. Fatal Ishahaku grew up in the house behind me. On the streets, he played football when he was young before he made it to the big leagues. His mom tells me he started very early in his incredibly young life and his tough home training and strong religious beliefs are what have kept him on the straight and narrow. Blessed with a blend of technique, vision and power, Fatal rose quickly. Despite his obligations at home, he would eventually take to organized football very easily. The young midfielder was a member of the Tamale Utrecht Colts ranks and was under the watchful eye of the club's overseer, Abu Moro. But after failed attempts, botched moves overseas and the loss of trust in the system, he moved to join Steadfast Football Club, where the stars began to align. On this patchy grass field in the heart of Tamale, he learned to hone his skills with the Steadfast Football Club. Much of what he knows now, he learned under the able tutelage of former Ghana star, Mohamed Gago. Many years have passed since Gago wowed Ghanaian football fans on the pitch. A fair bit of Ghanaians, old and young, know who he is and give him the deserved respect. These days, he stands on the sidelines, watching his team play. He stands quietly, hands behind his back, looking on pensively and thinking through several tactical tweaks. It is through his system that Fatal Ishahaku got national recognition. Fatal's flair and willingness to express himself was a dose of color in steadfast Doris times. Gago himself started as a young lad and he sees a bit of himself in the young Ishahaku. Fatal is an exceptional player. He's a, he's a God-given talent that he has. Um, you see Fatal play and uh, you remind of yourself of, of uh, I was lucky to be there to watch Abedi Pele 
when he was uh, still with Real Tamale United, when I was a coach team player growing up until I, I catched up with, with, with them a little bit before he, he left. I mean, you, you, you see the replica of Abedi Pele in, in Fatal. His touches, his movements, the speeds, the passing, the, the, the awareness, ability of holding on to the ball and doing whatever he wants to do with the ball. I mean, you, you, you can see that in Fatal. My only wish is to see Fatal become the next uh, uh, Ballon d'Or player of, of Africa. Uh, aside from the football, what kind of person is he? Well, Fatal is a very, very uh, sociable kind of a guy. I mean, he, 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 he brings out the excitement in our camp. He, 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 he plays around and he's, he's, he's a, uh, an easygoing kind of a guy that, that I know. And, and to talk of respect, he's someone that is down to earth. And, and he's coming, I, I believe, and I know, I, I personally know his father, and I know he's coming from a, a very, very humble background. And he's, got, he's gotten a very good parenting, as well as uh, the, the bankroller of the club. You know, he, he lived with him, so I think Fatal is an is, easygoing is 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 guy. Fatal is the youth star of the North, and like many before him, he is adored in the city of Tamale and its adjoining towns. His teammates talk of a boy who's obsessed by the game and always has a ball with him. I think Fatal Isako is a definition of football itself. Because looking at the talent Fatal Isako is having, it's, in, it's unimaginable. I think he's gifted. To me, I can compare him to Lionel Messi. Because looking at how Fatal Isako is, words can describe the talent he's having. To me, Fatahou's presence with the Black Stars will, will, will give us a, a, a morale booster. You know, Fatahou is a such player that when you give him one second, he will punish you. Fatahou Isaku is a cool person. He's an entertainer <laughs> because during when he was staying with us, when we come to camp, he will give us some motivation in camp. Uh, I don't think he's a kind of person who takes himself to be a high-level person, but he's just a cool guy, just like normal human beings. He's very cool and he's very entertaining. His inclusion in the Black Stars has excited many. When I see him, I'm, I'm, I'm very impressed about whatever he's doing in the, in the pitch. Yeah. Because for the board, yeah, everybody knows what he's, what he's doing. Yeah. So we are impressed. His attitude to the game is the thread which binds the many stages of his young life. A testimony as to the caliber of player he is. He is dedicated, loyal, humble, and loved by many. For the sunny side of sports, this is Yao Fusulabi in Accra. Thanks, Yao. Heather Maxwell, host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. Wake up, dance this music. Like to stay on top of new music trends? Breakout artists? New releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and the artists of the past. Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. 
whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FM station Saturdays and Sundays at 1500 and 2000 UTC. The Basketball Africa League is back. Voice of America joins the forces with Africa's premier men's basketball league to bring you the second season of the BAL. 38 games, 12 teams leaving it all on the court in Senegal, Egypt and Rwanda to determine the 2022 season champion. Tune in to VOA 24-7, FMs and to radio and TV affiliates for some action. Pre-game. Play-by-play, post-game, daily highlights, delivered by our finest commentators. Basketball Africa League 2022 on Voice of America. May the best team win. Basketball Africa League 2022 will resume April 9th when 2021 champion Zamalek of Egypt will host Cobra Sport of South Sudan in the opening Nile Conference game in Cairo. Africa's premier men's basketball league is a partnership between the International Basketball Federation, FIBA, and the National Basketball Association, the NBA. In NBA action Wednesday night, the Phoenix Suns won their league-leading 62nd game of the season. The AP's Dave Ferry has details of the win by the Suns, as well as victories by the Miami Heat and the Dallas Mavericks. Devin Booker atoned for a tough shooting night by hitting the go-ahead free throws with 34.2 seconds left, sending the Suns to a 107-103 downing of the Warriors. Booker scored 22 points but shot just 5 for 21, including 2 of 8 from three-point range. Chris Paul hit a key jumper with 137 remaining, added a short jumper after Booker's free throws, and finished with 15 points and 8 assists. Obviously, I'd like to get a championship to go along with that, but that doesn't diminish anything that we've done. You know, seasons are hard. It's a long season, ups and downs of a season. So, uh, you know, it's, it's dope to be a part of that with this franchise and have an opportunity to have the most wins this franchise ever had. Golden State's Jordan Poole scored a season-best 38 points to match his career high. He had five free throws over the final 120 and hit eight three-pointers. Jimmy Butler had 24 points, and Kyle Lowry added 23 in Miami's 106-98 victory over the Celtics. Butler says they moved well in the offensive zone. Our offense really looks good because there's no confusion of where the ball is going to be and where it's going to go. And uh, when we're like that, we can get back if we miss. Um, majority of the time, we do make the shot, and we just happen to guard tonight, which is a good thing. Bam Adebayo finished with 17 points and 12 rebounds to help the Heat post their second straight win since the season-worst four-game losing streak. Since briefly taking over the East top spot, Boston has lost two games in a row for the first time since late January. Jalen Brown led the Celtics with 28 points and 10 rebounds. Jason Tatum added 23 points and six assists in a game that featured nine ties and 16 lead changes. Luka Don Doncic poured in 35 points and had 13 assists as the Mavericks dumped the Cavaliers 121-12. Doncic supplied 20 points while the Mavs outscored the Cavs 39-22 in the third quarter. I just tried to be a little bit more aggressive in the first half, you know. Obviously, it's a back-to-back, but I just tried to be more aggressive. Dorian Finney-Smith nailed six three-pointers and finished with a career-high 28 points for Dallas, which is on the brink of a postseason berth. It'd be like that sometimes, you know. You know, other night with Reggie Knight, tonight is it was my night. You know, they got to make a decision. Like I said, they got to pick who they're going to 
you know, who they're going to trap, who they're going to leave, either me or Reggie. Cleveland played without Evan Mobley, who will miss at least two more games with a sprained ankle. Karis LeVert scored 32 points in his best game as a Cavalier. Luka kind of dictated the, the game um, in the third quarter. He kind of got to whatever spot he wanted to. Um, you know, the shooters got going as well. We kind of didn't take anything away. Darius Garland had 25 points and 10 assists in the Cavs' fourth loss in five games. I'm Dave Ferry. Thanks, Dave. Another NBA action Wednesday night. 2021 league most valuable player Nikola Jokic came close to another triple-double for the Denver Nuggets. The big Serbian tallied 37 points, 13 rebounds, and 9 assists as the Nuggets scored a 125-118 to road victory over the Indiana Pacers. In Toronto, Canada, the Cameroonian Pascal Siakam posted his second career triple-double. Siakam had 12 points, 10 rebounds, and a career-high 13 assists to help the Toronto Raptors top the visiting Minnesota Timberwolves 125 to 102. Sporty greetings. This is Masai Ujiri, the president of Toronto Raptors Basketball, president of Giants of Africa Foundation. You are listening to the sunny side of sports on the Voice of America. On a busy night in the NBA, the six other winners were the Charlotte Hornets, the Sacramento Kings, the Atlanta Hawks, the Memphis Grizzlies, the New Orleans Pelicans, and the Washington Wizards. And that wraps up the March 31st edition of the show. Thank you for tuning in. I'm VOA Sonny Young in Washington, and that's the sunny side of sports. I get it.